Well, it's really um, interesting and new to be doing church like this. A little nerve-wracking for me, so bear with me, but we miss everybody so much. And I want to thank our worship team for their faithfulness and, and starting our service today. I appreciate that. I know all of us have been trying to come up with, my husband and I have been learning how to play cards, but it's really not that much fun because I beat him all the time. And, uh, you know, that's kind of a drag, you know, but we're aware that within the next month, you're going to turn on and there's going to be two long gray haired hippies here. And so we're going to have to learn how to cut each other's hair this week, which will be a very interesting experience. And, uh, we just ask that you keep praying for us. We are praying for you. And there, if you have special requests, please call us. Please text us. Please get on Facebook online. And um, we will be praying. We are praying for all of you. And there are many people that are calling and making visits. So we're trying to stay connected. Father, I pray that um, wherever we are in our homes, sitting outside on our, in our yards, I ask that your Holy Spirit would be poured out upon us. I pray for your preaching angels. I ask that you put your hand upon my head and that you would give me the perfect words. I ask you, Father in heaven, that you would be glorified in our service today. And I pray that you would keep our hearts strong in all of these things. Amen. I wanted to start today with a story, and I brought my um, grandfather's decoy. His name is Mac, and he has a hole in his head, but he doesn't know it, so I just kind of keep him around, and he's, he's quite old. At this point, he's over 100 years old, and I love him because he reminds me of a story, and I know you guys always think, oh my goodness, her and her dead ducks, but I have this thing that there was a duck that came upon uh, the farm one year, and a lot of times as the duck would pass through and they would go through seasons at the farm, there, were, there was a duck that just kind of landed with all the chicken and the domestic ducks, and he was down in there, and he was enjoying the fact that he was being fed without having to work whatsoever, that he was being fed every day, and pretty soon it came time for him to migrate, and he could see he could see the ducks moving about, but he uh, thought, why? Why should I go? It's so easy here. I just keep eating. I'll just keep enjoying this wonderful life I have here with all my new friends. Well, then he came the next season, and it came time, and he could hear the call of the wild. He could see the other ducks flying. And he said, what am I doing? I need to get going. And he comes to the edge of the, the farm, and he just kind of, like, lifts his wings. And, and it, it doesn't quite, he flops, and he flies a little bit harder, and he flaps his wings. And then he just tells himself, this is just way too much work. I'm going to go back and get lunch. So he goes back, and pretty soon he becomes so comfortable at being there with the chickens and the domestic, that domestic ducks that he forgets. He was born to be a wild duck on the wings. And the problem with a duck that is too fat to fly is they become shot, plucked, 
and stuff. And that's what happened to McAdoo. And I keep this guy around my house because I want to remember that I was born to be on, in flight, born to have wings of faith. And God has asked us this. And something happens to us that we begin to nibble our way into lostness. We nibble our way into being unnatural. And we have become Christians that we no longer naturally serve and witness. And, and it becomes a, a scary thing for us, what we should be doing every single day naturally. Now, I remember when my daughter was really little, and this is one of my favorite moments with Brianna. Um, and Brianna has always been a person who was wild at heart, and she had the ability to fly. And I believed her because she did. And one day she came in to me. She was very small, and she came in about three years old. And she uh, said, Mom, Mom, come here, come here. So she had a big pink floppy hat on, and so I went running outside with her. And our house was at a campground. At one point, we were living at a campground in the mountains. And on the side of the mountain uh, behind us was a huge, gigantic rock that looked like the backbone of a whale. And so here was this big bone, stone bone, sticking up from the side of the, of the mountain. And it went down under our house. Our entire house was built on this huge, gigantic rock. So she got up on it with her hat in the front. She says, come on, we're going flying. I said, okay. And so I got up on the rock behind her, and we were getting ready. And she goes, she put her arms out to fly, and she was like, it's not working. And I said, why? What's the matter? And she goes, because you're not wearing a hat. And so I was like, I have to have a hat to fly? And she goes, yeah, mom, hurry up. You know, So I had to go run in the house and try to find this hat and put this hat on, go running out and get back, and then the plane would fly. And the thing of it is, is there is a certain kind of wonderment. There's a certain kind of aliveness that children have, that they believe that they could fly, that they believe that they can change the world, that they can rise up. And I believe that I built the, I built the best fort, so I was going to be like Swiss Family Robinson. I, was going to, I would build these complicated forts with secret hiding places. And I had such an imagination of what I could do that I would have all the kids in the neighborhood involved in it or involved in musicals. I used to put on musicals as well in my backyard. And we had this, this childlike wonder and amazement at everything that was around us. And something happens to us that we begin to nibble our way away from that childlike wonderness, away from that voice of God that it's he puts in us to, to believe and to see things that other people don't believe and see. This is, this is God's voice that is put into us before we're born. And somehow, we didn't mean to get lost, but we somehow began to partake and partake and partake of the good things of God to the point that we have become unnatural, that we have not been formed by him and, and been made in his image and his character. And we lose that sense and we lose that, that excitement. To give you an example, one of my favorite students had come to me. It was graduation weekend at Blue Mountain Academy. And she was sitting in the chapel by herself in between all the services. And 
she was crying, and I asked her what was going on. And she said, well, you know, Mrs. Menente, I, um, I want to be a teacher, you know. Pastor Sergio in leadership said that we should live what our passion is. And she goes, I've failed every class till this year. And the, the lady that worked in our, libra our librarian had helped her. And she said, and I've gone from straight Fs and Ds to As. And she goes, I want to help other kids that have learning disability. This has been the dream I've been going for. Well, my dad just told me today that I have, to be, I have to be a respiratory therapist. And she said, because it only takes two years, and that's all the money I have for you. And so she was crying and crying. She goes, how can I live my passion? I don't know what I'm going to do. And so we talked for quite a while, and I said, you know, um, talk to your dad. Ask him what he wanted to be when he was a teenager, when he was in college, and see what he says. And several hours later, she came back, and she goes, I asked my dad, and she goes, it's really weird because we never talk like that to each other. And she goes, and I found out that he had wanted to be an artist and that he had worked really high, but when he hit college, he ended up having kids and he had to drop out of college. And he now is working and he works constantly at this job that he hates because he's trying to pay my tuition to come to this Christian school. And she goes, I put my arms around him, and I cried, and I said, Dad, I wish you were an artist. I wish you could have been an artist. I'm sorry you got robbed. And she goes, and tonight he came up to me and told me if I wanted to be a teacher, he would find a way. And it, it just gave me chills because so many of us have gotten so busy and that we've been taken away our dreams, we, it, they're like a desert behind us of all the things we hoped, our spontaneity, our poetry, the books we wanted to write, the things we wanted to create gets left behind. So I want to turn today and see if I can put all these ideals together in the book of Numbers. And it's a, a very odd miracle story. And it's in Numbers chapter 11, verses, starting with verse 4. Now the mixed multitude who were among them yielded to intense craving. So the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who will give us meat to eat? We remember the fish we ate freely in Egypt, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our whole being is dried up. There is nothing at all, except this manna before our eyes. Now, here's a group of people. This is a weird miracle in the Bible. And because here are these people who have been taken out of slavery, have walked through a sea divided, and are now living by the very fact that God pours out manna on them every day. But their eyes are so much on the Egypt that was behind them that they begin to look back and say, oh, this is, this is horrible. We don't have any meat. It was better for us in Egypt. Let's go back to Egypt. And you have this picture of God getting really kind of mad about that because here he is performing miracles. I mean, besides the fact that he keeps our hearts beating, you know, five liters or whatever it is of blood every day through miles and miles of capillaries and all those other miracles that God constantly does. 
here we have them in the face of God saying, you know, this is all really nice, but I really need, we need to go back to Egypt. So I'm going to go on to verses 18. Then you shall say to the people, he calls Moses in and he tells them, you shall say to the people, sanctify yourself for tomorrow you shall eat meat. You want meat? I'm going to give you meat. For you have wept in the hearing of the Lord, saying, who will give us meat to eat? For it was well with us in Egypt. Therefore, the Lord will give you meat and you shall eat. You shall eat not one day, nor two days, nor five days, nor 10 days, nor 20 days, but a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you because you have despised the Lord who is among you and have wept before him saying, why did we ever come out of Egypt? So you have this picture where God says, okay. And after everything he had done for them, despite the fact that he had taken them out of slavery, the taste of meat was so great within them that they would rather be slaves and have meat than to be free under the arm and the hand of God, being fed daily by his hand. And you have this picture. And then there's a point where Moses kind of does the math in his head in the next couple of verses. And he says, you know, wait a minute. How is he going to have meat? And I'm sure that this was a weird faith moment for God because he says, where is he going to get all this meat? Because if we kill every piece of cattle that we have, and if we take every fish that we can find in the Mediterranean, it will not be enough meat for some 400,000 men only. There was women and children as well. And he said, it's just not possible. But for some reason, Moses follows God instead of saying, God can't do this. I, I, I'm not going to say anything. He says to them, and he goes out, and he tells them, God's going to send you meat. You're going to get some meat. Tomorrow, you will have meat. And he says, lots and lots and lots of meat. And so they do, and it happens. God brings up a wind, and he, 50 miles away, he brings in every quail that he can find in that whole area. And within a day, it begins to rain quail. They are falling from the skies so deep that it comes up to their knees. The story is almost hard to even believe. But the idea that God was going to send them enough meat, you have to understand, I think it says 40 homers. It rises up till they have, which is 200 liters, times 30 days, times 600 men. There was so much quail around that there was a point they must have been disgusted with it falling out of their mouth. He says, I'm going to make it so that it's going to come out your nose and you're going to hate it. And there's a point, what a hilarious story, in a funny way where God says to them, I am so strong and so powerful, and I've done all these things for you, but yet you've craved, just like the duck, you have craved what is crumbles have been poured out on the ground by the Egyptians. And God looks at this miracle and he does this unbelievable thing. Just like when he feeds the 5,000 and he has this little boy bring up what little things he has, five loaves of 
bread and a couple of fish, and he brings them and he feeds 5,000 people with it because that's what God does. That's who he is. He can do those things. Those are things that are nothing before him. But what is valuable in the face of God is a heart and a childlike faith. And even though he walked them through the middle of the sea, the people of Israel still did not have a childlike faith in God. They could not stretch their mind. Their God hearing had gone completely deaf. And they had lost completely their way. And what has happened is even in this day, our lives have become so loud. The noise, the possessions of our life, ear-piercing noise, the possessions and mountains that we have surrounding us with junk in our own, in our own homes. We have some no, soul-numbing busyness, just constantly uh, going, 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 till we get to the point where we can no longer hear the still small voice of God. And we run to and fro, and we go crazy trying to make all the pieces work together. And somewhere underneath all those things, after 12 to 15 years of education and going through jobs and working for four decades and having children and all the things that we are caught, that we begin to lose our true selves, the people that God created to bring a message to this world and to this last time. I sometimes think about it heavy because in my own life, I found that being a pastor's wife, it was so easy to mimic aliveness. I could quote the Bible scriptures. I knew the stories. I knew how to dress. I had my little plastic pastor's outfit that I wore. I knew what to say. I'd had no problems. Every day we smiled. We were there every week at church, and I was dead as a doornail. I mean, because you can have everything memorized. You can go in and out of church to the point that the only thing you care about is, you know, what are people wearing and what are people doing? This is as stupid as asking for quails. This is, we have come to a point where the thing that God has called us for, which is to bring justice to the world, to feed the needy, to clothe those who are naked, to, to fight for what is right on the earth. And we have completely lost a vision of it and we have settled we have settled for being comfortable and then God sends a pandemic and I don't mean God sent it Satan is always the author of this evil and this death and God uses it he somehow takes the worst possible thing that could happen to us here in America around the world Within the middle of a pandemic, God leverages what Satan meant to destroy us with. Satan meant to kill us, to separate. Do you realize how quick all the churches closed? And within a heartbeat, we were not allowed to be together. Within a heartbeat, all of a sudden, we are cut off and we are isolated. And so we end up with the situation where Jesus stands up and he says, I'm calling you. I'm calling you away from tax collecting. I'm calling you away from fishing. I'm calling you out of Egypt. And he's saying, if I have to take away everything that makes you comfortable, I'm going to irritate you. I'm going to annoy you. I'm going to bug you until I get your soul back right. 
And in this hour when a lot of us are going through things we never thought, and it's not over, it's just beginning. But we've been told about this. We've been told the end would be like these things, that we would have this. This is our opportunity to press to Christ, to press to him as we never have pressed to him before, asking him, please, God, leverage this horrible thing. You see, Satan didn't plan on the fact that even though he meant this for evil to separate us all, is that God, he thought, well, we'll close the churches, that'll end that. But instead, what has happened, instead of silencing God's voice, which is, he has spread it because now we're spreading it in all of our communities. He has expanded the church. And I'm telling you, what God wants to do in these last days is far beyond the four walls that we are looking at. It is so far, and sometimes he has to get our hands and pry them off the edge of the pool so we can learn how to swim. And I think he's doing that now, and it will not be easy, my friends. It's, it's, it's hard. I, I met a man in New York once who was homeless, and that was my great fear we had during the last kind of recession. I remember we're going to be homeless, you know, because we were pastors. We were barely made. I think we were still teaching. Uh, my husband was still a teacher, and we were Bible working and things, and we were barely making it. And I remember volunteering to go down to New York City to preach for a soup kitchen. And I didn't know that how much money it cost to get into New York City. And it was, it was only like $8, but I didn't have $8. And I remember pulling my car over and pulling all the pennies out and getting in. And then I said, well, now I have to live here because I don't have another eight bucks to get out. And so we get there. And of course, I have to preach before they eat, which they really are not interested whatsoever in what I had to say. They just want to eat. They're hungry. And so I realized I had to be very quick, and so I did some little thing. And there was a man in the front, and I laughed. And I, I had mentioned, I said, I've used all, all the money in my car to get back. I think I have to live here. I think I even said that. So he came up to me afterwards, and he held out his hand, and he gave me a dollar. And uh, he said, um, he goes, here, this is, this is I have only $2, and I'm, he, I realized he was giving me half of everything he owned. And uh, it really, it really touched my heart. And he says, um, I need the other dollar just to get back to work because he helped a man with his flowers and he got $2 a day for doing it. And he said, um, I said, how is it living on the streets of New York? And he said, he goes, well, I lost everything. I lost my wife. He said, um, I've lost my uh, house. I lost my job. I said, I am so sorry to hear about all of that. And he said, oh no. He goes, my wife was the meanest woman I ever knew. He says, I hated my job every day of my life and my boss was just a nasty man. And he goes, and now I'm living on God's good graces out here on the street. And he goes, every day he gives me two dollars, a dollar to eat and a dollar to get back to work the next day. And he said, and more than that, how I can minister to people. I spend most of my days studying my Bible. And he goes, I have never been so alive. And he goes, and if I meet somebody, I know I may not see them again. So I might stay with them for two or three days, just ministering to them. He says, and then God turns me on to a new thing. He goes, I have never lived and been so alive as I am right now versus all the places and the money and the things I had. And after that, he began to, you see, 
getting that childlike faith back again is everything. It's the most valuable thing we can do right now. So in this hour where things are a little bit crazy, we have to begin to understand as we're losing things, and you may be losing the place you live, your jobs, is that silver and gold will not save you. It cannot. So give away and let go of those things that can't save you and you can't take them with you at all. We have to learn to detach from this earth and begin to follow God and fly like we have never done before. Um, and I started, um, you know, when, when you give away what you can't keep, you also gain what you can never lose. I love that expression. And so for me, I, as we end, I wanted to talk about um, Sergio and I had a very unusual experience in that we just finished a leadership summit and we were pretty exhausted. It was very stressful. You know, do we have 250 people? Is it a lot? Should we stay? Should we go? Should we open? Should we close? And then on top of it, you know, all the people that were flying and we, were we going to lose all this money? And we were going through a lot. We were very stressed out. But then right after that, we were supposed to take the speakers that came from the East Coast to see the, we wanted them to see the West Coast. They had never seen that. So we had this little week that somebody had arranged for us to go down to the beach. And it turns out that we had to send the speaker back immediately. He was afraid of being stuck in the state and things. We go down to the beach, and um, we ended up with nobody with us. And we're having a vacation in the middle of a pandemic, which is totally bizarre to us. You think, oh, yeah, that's fun, going to the beach? We spent the first four days on the phone talking to people because we were so worried about our friends and, and our church and, you know, how are we going to do this? And we, it was even more stressful. And, of course, everything was closed, everything. So whatever we thought vacation was supposed to be like, it was not. There was nothing there that resembled what we did and what we did when we went last time. As a matter of fact, the last time we went to the beach, it was a tornado in Manzanita, and the whole beach was shut off, and now we're there, and it's a pandemic. And we're beginning to think, should we ever go on vacations? <laughs> this does not work out well. Well, the one thing that didn't close was the ocean. And so we went down to the ocean to pray. And in the hour when the world was running around, and what are we going to do, and should we open, should we close, how are we going to connect? God was saying, be still. I am still here. My ocean is above all these things. My power is not touched by man. I am in charge of this earth. And he made us begin this thing that we're going through by sitting down and remembering who God was and that we are out of control, that he Everything is crazy, but in that hour, what Satan meant for evil, God will turn it for good. And we have to open our eyes to whatever miracles that he has lined up for us. We don't know what he's going to do. It hasn't been written yet. This is a time in history that has never happened before, and we are living it. And that's amazing. 
we went to the beach and a really interesting thing, we had gone in the middle of the day when it was warm because I had to wear mask and everything. I'm one of those people that has very bad lungs. And um, we get there and notice that the ocean was, the tide was out and the end of the island was exposed for the first time to us because we'd always been there and you couldn't even walk around it. I went running around the curve and I saw this great big cave, a lot of them, and a waterfall. And it was the most exciting. And I went running over to this, this cave that was cut inside the rock. And it was this giant, great big hole that went all the way up. And I remembered all of a sudden that, that piece of scripture about a cleft, being in the cleft of a rock. And how God had taken Moses when he gave him the commandments and he put him inside of this cleft. And he said, I want you to be here and I'm going to put my hand over you as God walks past. And I thought of all the times that the nation of Israel hid when the angel of death came in the Old Testament and they had put the blood of the lamb on the door and it passed over them. And I realized this is where we are to be right now. And I went up inside to the, in the cave just to see what it was like. And inside that cave, you could not feel the wind. You could not feel the water whipping past. And I realized that what God was asking us, he isn't saying that we're not going to get the virus, that all of us are going to have perfect, wonderful. He's not saying any of that. What he's saying is that though death passes by, though the rivers and the storms go past, I am going to hide you inside of me. And that is what he is trying to do. I, when things like this happen, I begin to realize God is trying to get us to go back to that childlike faith where we run back up inside the cleft of his hand, where we're distracted, taken away from all distractions and we hear his voice. And if that means tomorrow morning you have to wake up and you have already become addicted to your TV or your games and you have to crawl to your living room, take out your prayer journal and write on it, I am here. And begin again to seek him to pray as you've never prayed before and to begin to experience something that has never happened before on earth. I appreciate your time, and we are praying. Let us know how things are going out there, and uh, keep us in your prayers as well. Thank you so much. Wow. Uh, Nancy, thank you so much. That was an amazing sermon, a great word. And uh, I hope it sustains us in the next few days as we get ready for our Easter program next week. Uh, I'm so excited about uh, our Easter program, we're going to have our uh, Bible study time on Zoom at 10 o'clock. We want you there with your pajamas, your curlers, everything you want. Just come on out there and have a great time. Bring your kids. It's a fantastic time for us to be together and uh, connect together. And then after that, we will have a special Easter uh, worship service that uh, we are designing for online worship just for you guys. Can't wait for that. And, and again, Nancy and I both cannot wait for the day that this is over. You guys are going to get the biggest embraces, the, big, the best handshakes you'll ever, ever have experienced before in your life. Looking forward to that. God bless.